Howard Thurman once said, don't ask what the world needs, ask what makes you come alive and go do it because what the world needs is people who come alive. We are all here this evening to celebrate just that, a person who's found what makes her come alive, invites her to serve, to argue for a world that could be better and stake her life on it, as we are all invited to do again and again. And so in a world of struggle and suffering, moments like these are indeed causes to celebrate. So welcome, welcome and let's celebrate together this evening of ordination. We light this chalice for the light of truth, the warmth of love, and the fire of commitment. We light this symbol of our faith as we gather together. Good evening, everyone. Good evening. Yeah, we're here to be alive. So, well, how does one sum up in a brief reflection the nearly 20 years of a friendship. Well, I never wanted a loss for words, so I'll try. <laughs> In 2002, our then co-ministers, the Reverends Margot Campbell Gross and John Marsh, brought the small group ministry program to this church, and I had the honor of co-facilitating one of the first groups with my friend Amy Kelly. Among those members of our first group was Millie, whom I initially judged to be very shy and very introverted. Actually, Millie, like me when I encountered Unitarian Universalism, was checking us out. And as a level of trust was developed among us all in our group, we both shared and bore witness to the joys and sorrows, victories and defeats. And it was through that program that I learned to really respect Millie as a committed social and labor activist. When Millie's husband, Leslie, suddenly passed away in 2004, we members, her friends, showed what our beloved community can really be we are always there for each other. For me, it was that tragic event that truly showed me what Millie was all about. Suddenly, Millie was a single mom with an 11-year-old son whose world had been turned upside down, having just lost his dad. As I've come to know Millie, I've seen her face a number of challenges, including being a single mom. Happily, she and her two sons all survived their adolescence, and I know how proud she is of both of them, Jeff and Daniel, who are here tonight to honor and support their mom. I believe that being a minister is less about a title, although we will be conferring that title today but it's more about life's experiences and how those experiences enable us to be with others in need. 
I know that Millie has faced a number of significant challenges in her life, including in her pursuit of ministry. But I also know that Millie is not one to quickly give up in the face of challenges and the setbacks that life deals. In the ancient book of changes, Yijing, hexagram 141 reads, persistence in the righteous course brings reward. And my friend Millie has certainly been persistent in this righteous course to ministry. I'll leave you with a phrase that was shared with me many years ago related to my Buddhist practice in a Japanese school. Zen-san go-ichi, which means three forward, one back, which is said in relation to a lion moving through the bush. We may take three steps forward, but what is most important is what we do when we have to take that one step back. I've seen Millie use that one step back to do exactly what the lion, or in her case, the lioness, does. To take stock, reassess, re readjust, and then move forward once again confidently. Millie, I'm proud to know you. You may be receiving the title of reverend today, but you've already shown me personally what ministry is all about. Millie, it's such a joy to be here to celebrate with you your ordination. And it's been a joy and an honor to accompany you on your path as your spiritual director. And I'm back in a room that has a lot of resonant meaning for me. Not only did I graduate from Star King in this room, but it was in this room over 50 years ago that I first experienced Unitarian Universalism and heard Reverend Harry Schofield call us to a way of being in the world that inspired a teenage girl to want to discover this path. I could never have imagined all the places it's taken me since. I'd like to invite us in a evening of many words to just take a moment to breathe together. And as we enter into that, just a few silent breaths, I'd like to invite you to visualize and pull in the energy of the stars. Astrophysicists tell us that the energy of the Big Bang is still reverberating. Let's pull it into our being. Let's recognize that we are one forever with the universe, the oneness of it all. And let's just take a few breaths to pull in the energy of the stars that is here for you and to breathe back out to the stars beyond. Just a few quiet breaths together. Thank you for joining me in that. Whenever I enter into the spiritual practice, which I do, of breathing in the energy from the stars and pulling it into my very being, I am reminded that we are forever in the oneness. We are inseparable from the oneness here on lifeboat Earth. And as you asked me to speak to ministry, I want to say that for me, 
Ministry is a way of being in the world that is grounded in experiencing calling forth our connection to the oneness, that meets and engages the fragmentation that is real with courage and heart, and that witnesses to the transformative power of radically inclusive love. And I know of no more important and no more challenging spiritual practice of ministry or of life, and we are all in the shared ministry of this faith here together, than to call ourselves back to a commitment to radically inclusive love. And it will challenge everything that is in us. It's not just the people out there that we know we would have difficulty loving, and sometimes we forget to even try. It's the people in our midst because it's difficult to love people who will hurt and disappoint us, and yet there are no other kinds of people. And so we will be called again and again to that stretch into a radically inclusive love. And I think what can carry us there is to remember that compassion and accountability are joined in the spiritual practice of love. Compassion that whatever any human being is doing is what they can see at the time to try to meet universal human needs that we have too. However tragic and failed their strategies may be, that's where we can find compassion, the commonality of human needs. And in remembering accountability, we can call people to see and open their hearts to the impacts of the choices that they make. And if we can stand in those, compassion and accountability, we can do it. We can return again and again to the spiritual practice of transformative, radically inclusive love. I know of no more worthy quest, and it has helped me to remember, and I take my stand in this, that what any human being has done or could ever do is one of two things. Either it is an act of love or a cry for love. And when I can open my heart to that, I can find the way to take the next step on my path of ministry. And I call you to that with the courage of your great heart that I know you have. Blessings on your ministry, Nellie.
Mayor Milley. I am honored to participate in this great ritual of ordination. I rejoice with you as you take this grand step in your life, a life that already is amazing, filled with accomplishments, presence, vision, and hope. One of the great needs of any minister who hopes to be hope to those with whom she ministers is to be self-reflective, able to look at oneself without fear of belittling oneself as a result of that inward journey. For the inward journey is a journey to the altar within that will provide illumination for the outward realm of ministry. It is a risking of appearance for the sake of authenticity. It was a joy to companion your days at Star King School for the Ministry as your academic advisor and professor in two courses. In those capacities, I learned a great deal about you. Witnessing your incredibly insightful mind, compassionate heart, and deep spirit. One of the first matters raised by you was whether your writing would meet the standards of the academy, since you had been away from the academy for many years. This is an example of your characteristic self-reflection, which will serve you well in ministry. Any doubts you may have raised in my mind were erased when I had the opportunity to read your reflections. They were more than academically stellar. They were inspiring penetrating, comprehensive, profound, and flowed with engaging uh, kinetic energy. The world needs you, Millie. And there is rejoicing in my soul to participate in sending you forth to join and extend the legacy of so many who have given and continue to give their lives to articulating and embodying the beloved community. More than any other student I have tutored, you unashamedly presented, that is, you represented or represented working people, workers who are so often left out or discarded from political conversations. You brought forth the needs of laborers, your work with unions, 
and that was very critical. You knew that it was a betrayal of conscience to be silent, to not deal with the issues raised by the working class and the laborers. You spoke with clarity and a commitment. You embody what Walter Brueggemann said, what God does first, this is a slight translation, a difference in translation, Walter Brueggemann, what God does first and best and most is to trust her people with their moment in history. She trusts them to do what must be done for the task of her whole community. You have a sense of awe, that essential ingredient in understanding the interconnectedness of all life. Rabbi Abraham Heschel said, our goal should be to live in radical amazement. To be spiritual is to be amazed. This sense of awe as precursor to wisdom is summed up in the statement in our program from Dr. Howard Thurman. Don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do that because what the world needs is people who have come alive. You've been alive for a long time, Millie. <laughs> Thank you. It is this that causes you to stand against the things such as injustice that subvert the unity of life, the common ground, freedom. The freedom for which we stand, wrote Sophia Falls, is not freedom of belief as we please, not freedom to evade responsibility, but freedom to be honest in speech and action, freedom to respect one's own integrity of thought and feeling, freedom to question, to investigate, to try to understand life and the universe in which life abounds, freedom to search anywhere and everywhere to find the meaning of being, freedom to experiment with new ways of living that seem better than the old. Millie, ministry will have trying times. Ministry will have trying times, as well as rewarding times. And sometimes people will misinterpret your words and actions, leave you stranded when you expected them to be present. Yes, people can gnaw your very last nerve. Yet in the words of Samuel Miller, pray not for task equal to your powers. Pray for powers equal to your task. Pray not for a lighter load, but pray 
for a stronger back. to tell the story of Millie's journey to ministry. It is an inspiration to all of us. It is a story of courage, endurance, and humility. As I hear her story, I find myself moved by the example of Millie's integrity, her willingness to grow and change, her courage in standing up for what she believes. Millie was the youngest child of secular parents. Her mother had just drifted away from her Episcopal church. Her father was vehemently anti-Christian, blaming religion for many of the ills of the world. And Millie's family were not very social but she and her brother grew up with a strong sense of civic responsibility. 
It was important to speak up. It was important to vote. It was important to be engaged in the world. Millie's parents also imbued their children with an appreciation and love of nature. The family took camping trips, went hiking, and backpacking, and they just, all of them, really loved being out in the beauty of nature. And Millie shared with her family also a love of music, whether it be campfire protest or folk songs, her brother on the guitar, or at home where their father played the piano and they would gather around him and sing. Growing up, Millie felt very close to her mother's working class family. It was this, perhaps, that led to Millie's concern about issues of social inequality. When she was still in high school applying to college, Millie found a scholarship offered by the AFL-CIO. Preparing her application for that scholarship, Mystery, Millie studied the history of organized labor and became committed to their cause. Soon after Millie graduated from high school, her mother died following a long bout of cancer. It was a sad, sad loss. Millie's father then experienced the grueling process of medical insurance companies, and the cost of her mother's medical care nearly crippled the family financially. So Millie became newly aware of the injustice of the medical care system. When she went to college, Millie was known as a social activist, maintaining her connection to the union movement. She graduated with a degree in political science and then applied to law school, planning to become a labor lawyer. But after a year and a half, Millie withdrew. The stress of working to support herself and full-time law studies were just too much. And so she looked for a job in the skilled trades, which were just then opening up jobs for women. Recently in church, Millie spoke of this early work experience, and this is what she said. I was 22, the first woman hired in a foundry in Arizona. The work, pouring molten steel into sand-cast molds, was dangerous hot and physically difficult. I could barely do it. My main task was to lunge at the molds with a metal pole, knocking off one rim, so the molten steel would pour into the next mold. The rims didn't break easily. Downstream was another new hire. He had to get not only his share, but also the ones I failed to get. I was clearly not his equal. I was disappointed with myself. On the next break, a small, older man took me aside, saying, it was not the degree of force, but where to place the pole that mattered. Millie explained, he'd seen me struggling, willing to give my all, and he responded with compassion. He treated me 
as a person of equal worth and dignity. Closing this reflection, Millie said, may I live up to such wisdom in how I treat others. And Millie, that you surely do. Several years after the foundry job, Millie, then married with a baby Jeff, was living in Utah, and there they became involved with a rather rough crowd. And one day, an acquaintance brutally attacked Millie. When the attack came, Millie did not freeze as she feared, but found she had the power to fight back. After this traumatic experience, Millie decided to gain control over her life. She no longer would allow things just to happen. So Millie, now divorced, moved to California and got a job with PG&E. Soon she advanced to control operator in a power plant. And after the 89 earthquake, Millie did an outstanding job as part of the restoration team in a substation. She told me she felt useful. She felt she'd accomplished something. She felt proud. Around Thanksgiving in 1989, Millie met Leslie Reif, whom some of us remember well, and they married in 1993. Their son Daniel was born. Millie continued to work for PG&E, but now in their downtown office. Leslie became a schoolteacher, and they started looking for a religious home for their family. The Sunday before 9-11, they came to this church, and they came back the following Sunday. Soon all three of them felt connected here, and they soon joined the church. Then one night, as you've already heard, in 2004, suddenly and unexpectedly, Millie's husband, Leslie, died. This death jolted Millie into evaluating her own life. She felt a new sense of urgency to the question, what does it all mean? And then, as Millie put it, the ministry thing crept up on me. Initially, Millie dismissed the idea, thinking she did not have the right attributes. She was an introvert, socially not at ease. She did not claim to be an intellectual. But the idea persisted. I wish I could do something like that, she thought. Here at church, Millie became a worship associate. She found she liked preparing reflections and was amazed by people's response to them. A few years ago, Millie offered a workshop called Class Conversations, and she became a facilitator of our small group ministries. The thought returned, but now the thought was, I can become a minister. In 2011, Millie enrolled in Star King School for the ministry. Beginning school again after all those years was daunting and challenging. But in her second year, Millie gained much needed support from Dorsey Blake when he became her advisor. Millie also continued to receive encouragement from the ministers and members of this congregation. 
In 2013, Millie met the man she would later marry, Richard Saunders, who brought her welcome reassurance, affirmation, and as a jazz musician, nurtured Millie's early love for music. After seminary, Millie did her internship with the congregation in Santa Rosa, where she also was greatly supported and encouraged by her supervising minister, Chris Bell, and that congregation. In her last sermon in Santa Rosa, Millie spoke of the importance of contributing. She said, I love and honor those who submerge in the mundane tasks of the world because they truly contribute to the needs of humanity. Currently, Millie is consulting minister of the Unitarian Universalist congregation in Lake County. And I am sure they will find, as we have found, that Millie does submerge himself in the tasks of the world because she knows from her own experience this does contribute to the needs of humanity. We have heard it in her story. Millie wanted to do the best she could pouring molten metal in a foundry. Millie, who did an extraordinary job working on the restoration team at the PG&E substation, Millie, who facilitates small group ministries, helping people listen deeply to themselves and to one another. I said at the start I would tell of Millie's journey to the ministry, but underlying this is a deeper story, a story of courage and spiritual growth. It is this story of courage and spiritual growth which is an inspiration to every one of us, as in our living, we each write our own story. And I end with this quote Millie used in a sermon by Tagore. I slept and dreamt that life was joy. I awoke and saw that life was service. I acted and behold, Service was joy. Millie, may you serve this world you love so much with great joy. Blessings on your ministry.
Hello, everyone. Will the members of the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco please rise in body and spirit? Miller Phillips, recognizing your sense of obligation to serve the cause of liberal religion and having received the recommendation of the Ministerial Fellowship Committee of the Unitarian Universalist Association of Congregations and by the authority of a vote, a unanimous vote of this congregation, we desire to ordain you to the Unitarian Universalist Ministry. We offer you ordination a privilege bestowed upon us by the nature of our free faith. Among us, and wherever you may be called to serve, we would have you preach in freedom and in love, ministering alike to joy and sorrow, modeling the values of our free faith by your example. Are you ready to serve in this ministry? I am. Will the members of this congregation please join me in saying the words of ordination which you found in your order of service? We, the members of the First Unitarian Universalist Society of San Francisco, do hereby ordain you, Millie Phillips, to the Unitarian Universalist Ministry. Wherever you are called to minister, we would have you use your gifts in the service of justice and compassion. We pledge ourselves to journey with you in unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, and in all the ways of truth and love. And now, will Millie's family, friends, colleagues, and all those gathered here please rise in body or in spirit to bear witness to this act of ordination? Please join your voices with me now. Millie, you have touched our lives in many ways. You have celebrated with us in times of joy. You have accomplished us in times of sorrow. You have given us your love and your friendship. We are proud of you as we too enter into the spirit of your ordination. We pledge to journey with you and support you in this ministry, your life's work. With a deep sense of gratitude and humility, Mindful of its privileges and responsibilities, I take up the ministry to which you ordain me. I pledge to use my gifts in the service of love and justice in the wider world. We are here representing the congregation that has just affirmed your ministry to present you with a, excuse me? Okay. <laughs> to present you with a tangible symbol of your new status and of our deep connections with you. You have brought us your listening heart through your commitment to small group ministry your eloquent voice, first as a worship associate, then as a visiting preacher. You have shared many chalice lightings with us, 
and all those small groups and here in the sanctuary. You've shared with us too your humanist convictions and how they uphold a life of moral courage. You've also brought us your singing voice, a member of the choir and a soloist, and you have brought the fire of your activism in the struggle for social justice, especially in regard to the rights of workers. Your love of music and your passion for those causes were beautifully brought together in the processional you chose for us this evening. Two of the fine fabric artists among us, Liz Brager and Laurel Sprick, have collaborated to create a visible interpretation of those qualities we so cherish in you. We hope this stole will serve as a memento of this ceremony, the bonds among us, and inspire the work yet to come. Now you don't get to sit down at all from now on, so you can just come right here. Thank you both, this, this is gorgeous. This is beautiful, thank you. The bread and roses, everybody will get a chance to see it at the reception. And technically it's one of our little customs as Unitarian Universities that you can't wear this till you're ordained, and I know you have another stole at home, so now you are stole licensed for the rest of your life. <laughs> so this is time for another tradition, the laying on of hands. We are bound in our communities, not by a dogma, but by the promises that we make to one another, our covenant, about how we will be together. And we are led not by someone that the higher-ups tell us to follow, but by the person who earns our loyalty and trust, who we choose to give our loyalty and trust to. We also ordain only those in whom we agree there is an authentic desire and ability to serve in the capacity that still offers some unique privileges and responsibilities, that is, ministry, ordained ministry. And always, we are made more powerful, not just by the strength and resilience and the courage and the tenderness we draw from within ourselves, but by the strength and accountability and the truth-telling and the binding up of one another that happens in our community when our hands are interlaced in a shared journey of shared values and effort. So it is right that ordination is something that only a congregation, this congregation tonight, members and friends of two congregations, Santa Rosa and the Unitarian Universalist Congregation of San Francisco and family, that we are the ones who ordain you. And so we engage in an age-old ritual now, open to reinterpretation as all of our rituals are. This one being one in which our hands, so think about these hands, these hands that help a baby to walk its first steps, wash the dishes of the people we feed, in our kitchen here in a month when the homeless come and at home, that clean the streets in front of our houses is our commitment to our neighborhoods command us to, that repair machinery, that powers our places of work, 
that writes checks that power the organizations we believe in, that waves in greeting, that reaches out in tenderness, that holds while weeping, that shakes its fist in righteous anger. So much of our life and our values are lived out through these hands. So, we will take them in a moment and lay them upon you. First, family, then the rest of us touching their shoulders so that we will be connected in the interdependent web of all. Oh, you know what? This is me. It's God calling. Oh, no, it's just my father. He sometimes thinks he's God. interdependent web of connection, which is inescapable. (laughs) So I'm going to invite you to step down these stairs and invite Margot and Chris to join me. Invite your family to come out and friends and just put a hand on Millie's shoulder and then people file out. We're going to connect ourselves literally in this interdependent web of all connection of which We say we are a part. There we go. All these hands, right? Hands of artists and activists and teachers and scholars and caretakers. All these hands pouring their trust and belief and confirming the ministry in you. So let's join our hearts in a meditation. Hands that do the work of the world, the harvest of all fruit, the healing and repair of all broken places, the carrying of all burdens, the creation of so much beauty. These hands bless this minister newly admitted into fellowship and bless what flows through all of us and all of our hands in our work to the larger ministry of the world that needs everyone's lives liberated to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly but resiliently into a future better than the one without us. Let this ordaining body and this ordained woman be blessed and the world, the world in her wake. Amen. My dearest Millie, I humbly take this lectern to offer the charge to the minister, traditionally a smorgasbord of some advice to help you succeed in ministry with one very clear and painful thought in my own mind, and it is this, I have absolutely no memory whatsoever of what was said to me. (laughs) 
In my charge to the minister, at my ordination 14 years ago, friends, I even had to look up who delivered the charge that day. It was my friend and mentor and my internship supervisor, the Reverend James Ford. He was my internship supervisor as I was yours. And I have two things to bring to you from Santa Rosa. One is just my own gratitude for the experience of serving as your supervisor. Uh, we had challenging times and richly rewarding times, and you taught me very much about uh, the different forms that ministry can take and how two people who actually are quite different can find a way to love each other and work together beautifully. And the gifts that you gave to our community with um, your history timeline and the power analysis you wrote for us were wonderful and articulate gifts that are still in use at the congregation. And we are so grateful for what you offered us and believe so strongly in this act today that I want to share as well that our congregational meeting this morning, we also unanimously affirmed your ordination and you may, if you choose, say that we ordained you as well. Okay. Now, I, I, I know I can't remember what was said to me because at the ordination service itself, as you are perhaps right now, I was on the tail end of having planned a very elaborate and unique worship service and party for myself, <laughs> which you have largely done today as well. And so I was sitting on the chancel overwhelmed and tired and mostly concerned that someone was going to pull those appetizers out of the oven in 30 minutes. So I don't expect you to remember any of the words I say today. But I do hope you will remember how you feel today. If we have succeeded in our goal that you feel empowered and blessed and certain of all of the choices that you've made that led you to this most auspicious day. Remember this feeling. That phrase, they will not remember what you said, but they will remember how you made them feel is kind of a cliche in our trade. It is frequently said of preaching or even of pastoral care or the time we spend with children. They won't remember what you said, but they will remember how you made them feel. Remember it, it's true. <laughs> The internet almost always attributes this saying to Maya Angelou, but deeper research reveals that it may have come from a Carl Buhner, a high-level official in the Mormon church. Oops. <laughs> Which leads me to my first bit of advice. Don't worry so much about those quotes. In my first few years of preaching, I was throwing out William Cantwell Smith and Sharon Welch and James Cone until I finally realized in every case what I was saying was, as a famous and credentialed person, O congregation, that you have never read or heard of, <laughs> said. And I was invoking them because I thought it better proved my point, but I soon discovered my people wanted to know what I thought. I was the one they were coming to hear. So remember, as a minister, the primary voice you need to cultivate is your own. The essential authority you need to invoke is your own. Speak your truth in your voice. That said, I hope you remember your deepest authority, though it comes from within you, 
is not from your ego. It doesn't come from your little self, though it definitely comes through your little self. It comes from words, qualities of existence with capital letters like life and love and truth and spirit, however you understand those words. It comes from living wholeheartedly and authentically in loving relationship with your ancestors, your tradition, your family, your community, your sources of wisdom, and yourself. And it comes, most importantly, from just living wholeheartedly and authentically in loving relationship with the actual messy and wonderful people around you. This ministry can seem sometimes like it's in service primarily to ideas and principles and ideals. It is not. It is about human beings. And the final thing I must say is this. You come first among those human beings, Millie, if you're to be an effective minister. Anything and everything you expect of your people must live in you first and foremost. If you think meditation is grounding and clarifying, get your butt on the cushion. If you think people heal their souls by listening to music, turn on the stereo. If you think people need to stand up in justice, get to the march. If you think they need to not be ashamed to ask for help, ask for help. And if you think congregational life should be fun, have fun doing it. And if you think nature is healing, take a hike. Take a hike, Millie. <laughs> Feels good to say that. The important thing is it's your life, your simple daily life, which is com with its complexities and its limitations, its imperfections and its great beauty and power. I don't think I will ever get rid of the image of you making pouring hot metal from, I mean, <laughs> you are a powerful and amazing person. Your life is your main teaching. You can't save or serve the world without saving and serving your yourself first. You are foremost among the people who need your loving ministry. The last thing we need is another stressed out minister who thinks they are the lone exception to the rules of self-care. In conclusion, I will ignore my very own first point. You gotta be flexible in ministry. <laughs> and quote the inimitable Stuart Smalley and remind you, you are good enough, you are smart enough, and gosh darn it, people like you. We do, Millie, and we more than like you, we love you, and we believe in you. So much so that we declare you permanently worthy of reverence. You are the Reverend Millie Phillips. Don't forget it. Don't forget this day and these faces and forget these words, but don't forget the way you feel right now when I pray you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that you have truly been called to and accepted into this glorious, weird, wonderful tradition of the Unitarian Universalist ministry. And may the spirit of life bless you and support you for all the remainder of your days. Thank you. So you're not done, there's one more thing. I feel like we create all these things, you know, normally to have one more ritual and one more part. So this is the right hand of fellowship. What does this mean? This means these same hands, but in this case from your colleagues, are extended in welcome and collegial support. So to the point about asking for help, 
colleagues are in some ways the person who will, the people who will most understand what you're going through in parish ministry and to whom you can say things and they have to keep it in confidence, which is another good thing. So don't underestimate the power or the privilege or the open door of colleagues. 10.30 at night on a Saturday, you said you were gonna preach a sermon on generosity. It was a long weekend of unexpected surprises. You're exhausted. You've got nothing. Hi, did you, have you preached a sermon on generosity? There are a thousand ways, right? You're stepping into a board meeting. I think I'm gonna get fired. How do I walk into this board meeting? <laughs> Treat your colleagues like the safety net and the joyful band of thieves that we are. Because <laughs> it's really one of the best things about the career and the calling. So welcome. The right hand of fellowship, which passed back through us, passes forward through you. And we stand in the midst of the long river of colleagues. Blessings. Thank you.
if you would all rise in body or in spirit, and if you feel comfortable with health issues, um, please join hands. If your health is compromised, then you can do something else that shows connection. I, I think Vanessa stole my words earlier, but that's okay. Because I was going to speak about what these hands do also. Feel this hand, feel these hands in yours. These are the hands that welcome the newborn, the hands that comfort the dying, the hands that cook and clean and build, the hands that teach our children, the hands that play music, and the hands that applaud it. And may all of our hands, together, continue to keep building a better world that we would want our children and grandchildren to live in. Amen. Um,